Hello everyone, welcome to One Tribe Online and happy Easter Sunday. In the words of that old Easter anthem, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And I'm just so delighted to be with you online and celebrating not just with you, but with thousands, in fact, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions of people around the world have been celebrating every single year, looking back on, reflecting on, thinking about the greatest day there ever was, the day that Jesus Christ, historically proven, rose from the dead. And as we approach Easter this year, I want us to look at it through the lens of wherever we are on our spiritual journey, wherever you are, I'd like you to be thinking about what does it mean to become a Christian and what does it mean to be a Christian? Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I think that one or both of those questions should be relevant to you. And we're going to look at these two questions under the big banner, the big heading. Our Easter theme this year is Easter's Sting. And we're going to go back 2,000 years. It's about AD 33. 50 days ago, Jesus Christ had died on the cross, like we heard preached so powerfully last week by Megan and Cody and Kamal. We heard that Jesus died for our sins. And then he rose from the dead, which means that when we believe in him, we don't have to do everything in our own strength but we can do it in his strength. And now he's seated at God's right hand, the control center of the universe. And what, what does that mean for you and I? How do we live in light of, of, of these Easter realities? In other words, what does it mean to become a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? I'm going to read from this story that we're picking up right as Peter is at the end of preaching the first Easter sermon, out unpacking these massive realities. And the Bible says that when the people heard this, when they heard the sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his, his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's pray. God, we ask that you be with us over these next few and precious minutes. I pray that you'd help me as I speak, help every person who can hear the sound of my voice to be cut to the heart. God, that as we hear this, you would give us the gift of repentance in our hearts. God, that you would, you would show us the power of what it means to die to ourselves and to live for you. God, we pray that you would download again to us the gifts of forgiveness of sin and of your precious Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Acts 2 verse 37 to 37 says, when the people heard this, they were cut 
to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what must we do? They've just heard the Easter message. Jesus died, rose again, exalted to the Father's right hand. And they're thinking, man, this is huge because if Jesus is at the Father's right hand, that changes everything. It changes the way I've got to see myself and my family and my friends and my workplace and my money and, and, and my life as a whole. It changes the way that I see everything. I love what C.S. Lewis said. I've, I've shared this before, but it's it's uh, so nice. I want to say it twice. C.S. Lewis said how I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun, not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And Christianity is about seeing the sun and who he is. And we saw that last week. And then it's about seeing everything else in the light of the sun, S-O-N. And these people saw that Jesus is God and we haven't treated him as such. And in that respect, friends, you and I may have more in common with the people in this crowd than we realize. Because how often do we not treat Jesus the way that we should? How often do we fail to reorder everything in our lives around him? You see, when Jesus comes into our lives, he wants to be his president, not just residence. He wants to be the steering wheel, not just the spare wheel. When the crowd realized this, the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. I love that Greek word that Dr. Luke uses. It could be translated, they were pierced. It could be translated, they were stung. That's where we got the title for today's message, Easter's Sting. Because friends, when we sit under God's word, when we sit under the Easter message today, it's designed to elicit an effect in you and I. These people didn't go to Peter and say, Peter, that was a nice message. Well done. Looking forward to next week. In fact, one of my preaching heroes, his name is Michael Eaton. He says that that's when you know you failed as a preacher is when people come to you and say nice message. And the reason he says that is because this is his model. He, he, my, Michael Eaton believed that when the word of God is preached, it should cut us to the heart again and again. Whether we are not yet Christians or already Christians, when we receive the word of God, it should cut us to the heart. It should sting us and make us say, God, what should we do? The word of God is designed to elicit a response in our heart. Someone once said that good preaching should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Where are you today? Maybe you are, maybe you are afflicted today. And if you're afflicted, my prayer for you is that right now by God's word, you'd receive the comfort of God's word. It's what God word, God's word does. And if you are comfortable today, whenever we come comfortable to the word of God, my prayer is that we would be afflicted, meaning that we'd be cut to the heart, that we'd be stung, we'd be pierced, we'd be convicted. We haven't been stung by Easter's message until we realize that it, it changes everything, friends. And in light of that, we went to do something. And Peter replied to the people. He said, repent and be baptized. You've got to do two things. Number one, repent. Number two, be baptized. And then you'll receive two things. You'll receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise. Remember, he's the promise. The Holy Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Number one, says Peter, when you understand the Easter message, number one is repent. To repent means literally to change your mind. It's a change of mind that results in action. The best way of explaining this I know of, I got from my friend Andrew Wilson. You've probably heard me give you this one before. But to repent, the best, to understand repentance, imagine that you are driving through the CBD of central Nairobi, you're dodging traffic and you're dodging police and you're dodging matatus and then all of a sudden you take a turn down a corner and a few seconds after turning down this new road you realize that you are traveling the wrong way down a one-way street and you are approaching a head-on collision with an 18-wheeler truck. Now, at that point, Number one, you need to realize that you are traveling the wrong way down a one-way street, but it's not enough to just realize that you are traveling the wrong way down a one-way street. You might feel bad that you are traveling the wrong way down a one-way street, but it's not enough to just feel bad that you're traveling the wrong way down a one-way street. You might, as you are moving closer and closer to the truck, you might mouth the word, sorry, to the truck driver who's bearing down on you, but it's not enough to just say sorry. What you need to do is that you need to do a U-turn and start traveling the right way when you've been traveling the wrong way. Well, that's a great picture of repentance. Repentance isn't just realizing you're wrong. That's not enough. Repentance isn't just feeling bad about the things that we've done wrong. That's not enough. Repentance even isn't even just saying sorry to God. That is not enough. Repentance is realizing that we are traveling the wrong way down a one-way street. And the only appropriate response is to do a U-turn and start following Jesus, start listening to him through his word and as he speaks to us, as we pray and as we receive counsel from the people of God. We do a U-turn and we follow Jesus and allow him to lead us to safety. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Someone needs to hear this. You're not online by accident. But what you are doing has got you on a head-on collision with death. And the answer is to turn to Jesus. My friend, don't do it tomorrow. Do it today. Tomorrow might be too late. Turn to Jesus. He'll lead you in the right direction. Peter said to repent. And then the second thing Peter said, I love this. Peter said to be baptized. That's radical stuff. Peter says repent. And that means to reorder your thinking in every area of life with Jesus at the center and then to act accordingly. And then Peter says be baptized. And we looked a couple of weeks ago about how Jesus was baptized and he went down into the water and then he came back up out of the water. Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. And Peter is commanding this crowd of thousands of people to be baptized. Now think how important this must be. These people at the beginning of the church, at the start of their Christian lives are saying, what must we do? Peter says, number one, repent. And then he says, number two, be baptized. This is a central issue. 
What's the deal with baptism? Well, because you and I live in a fairly Christianized world, we here get baptized. We think, yeah, that makes sense. That's what Christians do. They repent and stuff like that, and they get baptized. I, I, I get that. You know, I, I understand Peter saying that you need to be baptized. But baptism was wrapped up in all in layers of, of powerful meaning that would have been communicated to the crowd as Peter spoke those words, be baptized. You see, be baptized, my friends, is it's, it's, it's a symbol of three powerful things that Jesus does for us when we turn to him, when we repent. The first thing that be, to be baptized means is going down into water and coming back up. It's a powerful picture of being washed. Being baptized means to get washed because you and I are unclean. Many of us know what it means like to feel unclean, don't we? We can feel unclean because of things that we've done. Or we can feel unclean because of things that we haven't done. We might feel unclean because of things that people have done to us. Or we can feel unclean because of things that people haven't done for us. We don't live long in this life before we start to pick up the baggage of guilt or start to pick up the baggage of shame. And guilt and shame that we carry, those, those are just two sides of the same coin, which is, which is just the sense of being unclean. And Peter says, come to Jesus. He loves to take what is unclean and to make you clean. To be baptized is a picture of Jesus washing us. There's something, there's something unique. I want you to know that there's something unique about Jesus. You see, sometimes when you read in the Bible, you see that people who were clean didn't want to associate with people who were unclean because if they were clean and they're associated with people who were unclean, well, then when the clean associates with the unclean, then the clean becomes unclean. It's kind of like in this day of the pandemic, if, 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 if someone has been infected with the virus or has had a contact with the virus, they isolate. And the reason they isolate is because if they are infected and they become in, and they, they come in contact with someone who is uninfected, then the fear is that the infected will spread to the uninfected and the uninfected will become infected. There's there's no concept in our minds that when the infected and the uninfected meet that the uninfected will rub off on the infected and the infected will become uninfected. I know it's a mouthful, but track with me. Here's the deal. Everyone else up until the time of Jesus, when they saw the unclean, they would move away because if they encountered the unclean, they too would become unclean. But there are a couple of stories. I only got time to tell you about two of them of Jesus. On one, he's encountering a leper and another, he's encountering a woman who's had bleeding for 12 long years. And in both of those stories, those people would have been spiritually and ceremonially and ritually and socially unclean, untouchable. And, 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 and the Bible says something powerful. It says that when Jesus healed them, he healed them with a touch. And that's beautiful and that is powerful. That is beautiful because you know, as well as I do, that there's something that a touch or a hug can convey that words can never carry. But it's also powerful because it's only in Jesus that when Jesus the clean meets the unclean leper or the unclean woman, 
and they touch. It's only with Jesus that the clean doesn't become unclean. It's only with Jesus that actually the unclean becomes clean. And that's why wherever you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter the worst things that you've done, the things that you are most ashamed of, the things that weigh you down with guilt more than anything else, Jesus isn't afraid of them. Jesus moves towards you and he moves towards them because he knows that when he does, you're not going to make him dirty. <laughs> no, no. He became dirty for you and I on a cross. So that now when he comes to you, the unclean will become clean. Baptism is a picture of getting washed. Baptism is a picture of not just being washed, it's a picture of being buried. We go down underneath the waters and we come back up in new life. Sometimes if you're watching a movie, you'll see someone go into witness protection. What happens is that for some reason their past life becomes so untenable, so undesirable. It's better for them to lose their old identity, to lose their, their old life cut ties with it and start a brand new life. And that's what Jesus, that's what Peter was saying we need to do in Jesus. We need to, we need to come to him and get buried to say goodbye to our old sinful life and start a brand new life. Now this would have been radical because we were speaking to a crowd of Jews and in the Jewish mind, what the only people who needed to get baptized were non-Jews if they wanted to become Jews. Then you needed to get baptized because then you had a problem. Then you were on the wrong track. And Peter says to this crowd of Jews, my friends, you need to get baptized. You need to get buried so that Jesus can give you a new life. No one understood this better. Than the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, he wrote a letter to a church in a place called Galatia. And if you are starting to memorize scripture and if you're, uh, you know, teens or middle school or younger, I want to encourage you, get into the habit of memorizing these verses. They will carry you on your spiritual journey. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, said Paul. That means I've died with him. What does that mean? Paul says, now I no longer live but Christ lives in me and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Baptism is a picture of getting washed. It's a call to you and I to get buried and it's a call to you and I to get set free. You see, wrapped up in the Jewish history, this crowd of thousands that had come at Pentecost, wrapped up in Jewish history was an understanding that there was a period of time when the whole Israelite nation was a, a nation of slaves in Egypt. And then at the first Passover, in one night, God set them free. And the way he set them free was by taking them down into the Red Sea. Now they passed through like it was dry land, but in one sense, they were going down into the waters as a slave nation and coming up the other side of the Red Sea out of the waters as a people who had just been set free. And to, to be baptized is to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you set me free from the thinking, from the habits, from the addictions, from the mindsets, from the strongholds that hold all of us prisoner outside of Jesus. Repent, change the way you think about everything and put Jesus at the center and live in line with that. Be baptized, be washed, be buried, be set free. And when that happens, the Bible says that two incredible, incredible, incredible things come, 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 come to bear in our lives. The first is that we receive the forgiveness of 
sins. What a word, forgiveness. So I was studying this, and just an aside for those of you who are Bible geeks, theologian Michael Eaton, I referenced him earlier, but he, he made this distinction I found fascinating. I never thought about that, but he, he, said, that, he said that these people who, who were, were, were responding in the crowd, they, they, they had believed and they had been justified but Peter wanting him to experience forgiveness. And Michael Eaton, theologian, according to him, he says that to be justified, to be declared not guilty, that's not an experience, it's not something we feel. But he argues that actually but forgiveness is something that we feel. And God wants to give us both. He wants you to know what it is to be justified, to be declared righteous, to be declared not guilty. But he also know, wants you to know what it means to experience and to feel forgiveness. I was helped a while back um, in terms of interpersonal forgiveness. And I'm going to use that to help us understand how God forgives us. But in terms of interpersonal forgiveness, there's a fantastic book called, uh, it's called uh, The Peacemaker. And uh, in there, they talk about what it means for one person to forgive another. And they actually do it, they do a kid's version that's in the form of a, of a rhyme. And I, I found the kid's version helpful. That's what I'm going to share with you. But forgiveness Proper forgiveness of one person of another has four aspects to it. And here are the four aspects. The four aspects to forgiveness, interpersonal forgiveness are good thought, hurt you not, gossip never, friends forever. One more time, good thought, hurt you not, gossip never, friends forever. What that means is that when you forgive someone, you're making four commitments. The first commitment is good thought. It's to have good thoughts about that person. To say, I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to stew over this. When bad thoughts about you come into my mind because of what you did, because I've forgiven you, I am going to choose not to entertain those thoughts. I'm going to put them to the side and choose to think other thoughts or choose to think better thoughts. I am making a commitment to you that I'm going to control as best as with God's help, my thought life with regards to you. Good thought. Hurt you not means that when you and I are talking, I'm not going to drudge this up again with the intention of hurting you. I'm not going to bring it up again to hurt you when we are together. And gossip never means that when we aren't together, when we aren't in the same room, I won't be going around telling everyone else what you did and talking about it for the next five years. And I'm never going to forget and I forgive, but I don't forget. And no, 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 no. It's good thought. It's hurt you not. It's gossip never. And then it's friends forever. And that's the fourth dimension of, of true forgiveness. So what it means is that when one person sins against another, sin tends to separate two people. And there's, there, there, there are implications to our sin, which, which lead to us never having the same relationship again. And the power of forgiveness is that when we forgive the way God forgives us, we forgive and we say, we're going to be, I, I, want us, I want us to be friends forever. It may not be possible. And we can only do it as far as it's safe for both of us. But I want you to know that at a heart level, my heart is that this wouldn't alter our relationship irrevocably. No, it's the reverse of that. And those four things are exactly how, friends, God forgives us in this gift of forgiveness. When you come to Christ, and any person who's sinned in the last 24 hours, like I have, needs to hear this. Any person who will sin next week, like you probably will, needs to hear this. When God forgives, it's with good thoughts. He's chosen to change the way he thinks about you because he sees you in his son. He reckons you, he thinks of you, he counts you righteous and not guilty. The righteous with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
hurt you not. Whenever you come to God in prayer or in devotion or in worship amongst God's people, even online like this. I love what Dane Ortland said. He said that we don't come to a pointing finger. We come to open arms. He doesn't drudge up your sin again to remind you of it. Good thought hurts you not. Gossip never. God doesn't go around talking to other people about the things that you've done. Friends forever. Jesus said, come to me, whether you're unclean, no matter what lives that we've lived, so that we can experience his embrace, experience his friendship. He's called us friends, not just that. God the Father has called us sons. Friends, that is the forgiveness on offer because of Easter. We receive forgiveness then we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I just love what Peter says. He's, he's saying this is bigger than you realize. Peter says this, this gift is for you, he says to the crowd. It's not just for the 12 apostles or the 120 who were gathered in the upper room. He says to this crowd of thousands, this gift is for you. But he says it's not just for the thousands of people there on Pentecost. He says that this thing's going to flow down through the generations. It's for your children. And, 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 and it flits, flowed down to us generation after generation. But it's not just for the children of the people who are in that crowd or the children of the nation of Israel. Peter says, but it's for all who are far off. God loves to give the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to change the way we think about everything and put Jesus at the center. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and washes us clean and helps us to experience God's forgiveness and gives us new life and the freedom that God wants us to have. It's the Holy Spirit who comes as a free gift. The last thought I want to give before uh, wrapping up We're just talking about how Jesus, when he walked on this earth in his human body, he came close enough to a leper, he came close enough to a woman, a ceremonially unclean, he came close enough to touch them. That is amazing. But even though he came close enough to touch them and to touch his disciples, he, he, was, never, he was never one with them. He was never living in their hearts, but through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit, is closer to you and I who believe in him than to anyone he was close to as he walked this earth. Friends, that's the wonder of Easter. That's the good news. I can't think of better news. I wonder whether you'd pray with me as I pray a prayer celebrating this good news. Jesus Christ, thank you that you rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago and thank you for the massive implications. God, I pray for myself and all of us sitting under your word today that you'd help us to live lives that are pierced by your word where we're settling into an ungodly comfort, God, I pray that you would bring a holy discomfort. 
God, where we are weighed down and afflicted, God, I pray that by your spirit and by your word, you'd bring comfort this Easter. God, I pray that Easter wouldn't lose its sting in 2021, but that it would powerfully affect, that you would powerfully affect our hearts. God, where we are walking in sin, not living in the light of who you are, God, I pray that you'd show us now by your spirit and help us to do a U-turn. God, where we are carrying guilt and shame, I pray for a washing now of your spirit. I pray that forgiveness would flow from heaven to earth. And I pray that wherever we are, all around this great city of Nairobi, all around this great planet that you died to save, may the gift of your Holy Spirit be imparted abundantly. Because this promise is for us, it's for our children, for all who are far off. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and all you've done. Amen.